Amen. Well, you guys can be seated. You sing like you know those songs. And uh, Christmas is a lot of fun. And so because it's Christmas, we're actually going to take a three-week break from the book of Mark, but that doesn't mean we're not going to be in our Bibles. So why don't you open up your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming around. We would love to uh, give you a copy of God's Word. We love to study the Bible together. If you don't own one, take that one. It is a gift to you, or you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, But because it's Christmas, of course, um, open up to the book of Numbers with me. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding about opening up the numbers, but um, we're, we're going to be in the book of Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24 uh, this morning, uh, which I know some of you are already uh, curious as to why in the world are we going to be in the book of Numbers. Well, we're going to be focusing on a star. Uh, when you think about star, the star is a symbol of Christmas, isn't it? Uh, we see stars all over the place right now. You see them in advertisements. You see them all over in the mall, and, and, and you see them on your Christmas cards. Uh, some of you, it's possible, have a star on top of your tree that you already have up, right? And uh, so, so, so maybe you have a star on your tree, or maybe you have a nativity scene, and, and on top of the nativity scene is a star, Uh, The star is one of the basic shapes. It's one of the first shapes that you learn when you're a little kid. I mean, of course, you got to learn like your uh, square and a circle and a triangle, but then you learn about a star. My son Javen is into uh, what he calls his his boo-boo star, which is one of, you know, he's one of those little ice packs, you know what I'm talking about? So uh, it's shaped of a star, and uh, so it's his boo-boo star. You learn that one from an early age. You learn about a star. But, but, but the shape of a star has also uh, kind of been around for a long time. It, it was an important symbol in the ancient world. We see it in Egyptian hieroglyphics and uh, see it really all over archaeology throughout the history of the world. Even up to today, we uh, have in our nation the stars and stripes. The star is an incredibly important symbol, but today... Now we're going to look at another star because we're going to focus in on one verse here in Numbers chapter 24. We're going to be really uh, centering around this verse uh, 17. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's probably pretty obvious to most of you that you, uh, you can't really understand Christmas without prophecy, right? When we think about uh, the story of the manger, this king born in a stable in Bethlehem, that was kind of shockingly unexpected. Not, not what you would expect from a king. And yet, the story that we're so familiar with is, is birthed out of this rich history of ancient prophecy and predictions throughout the entire Old Testament. In fact, when, when we see this new baby, when he arrives, we realize that, that he is as old as creation and older. And so prophecy, and specifically this verse here, verse 17, I think is going to give us a, uh, some deeper beauty and meaning to the manger. So if you're taking notes, here's the big idea that we're going to see this morning in our text is this. The star of Israel gives us hope. 
The star of Israel gives us hope. Now, I realize that when we read this verse, uh, it's probably been a while since you've done your devos in numbers, and so we need a little bit of background. Like, who is talking here and why? Like, what in the world is going on? And so I'm going to try to help you understand and, and bring you up to speed with where we're at in the book of Numbers. You'll remember that Numbers, the book of Numbers, actually recounts the wilderness wandering of the children of Israel on their way to the promised land. I've got a map for you here, and I know it's kind of washed out, uh, but you'll be able to see this a little bit. Here are the children of Israel wandering through the desert. They want to get up to Canaan in the promised land, but God was going to make them wander there for 40 years. Now in the book of Numbers, we're getting closer to the time when they're going to be entering into the promised land, but you'll notice uh, there's this kingdom of Edom here, this kingdom of Moab here. The children of Israel, when they got to the kingdom of Edom, they actually wanted to pass through. There's a major highway right here. It's called the King's Highway. In fact, I took a, a picture. Uh, there's, there's me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of small there, standing on the edge of a cliff, overlooking this incredible valley right in front of me. The kingdom of Moab was over on this side. Down here, you can barely see it, but there's a road that stretches down here. That is known as the King's Highway. It was an incredibly important road, kind of a major trade route in the ancient world. And so obviously, and we go back to our map here, obviously the children of Israel, when they come here, they want to pass through the King's Highway. And so they come up to the King of Edom, uh, the nation uh, of Edom there, and they're asking for permission to use the king's highway. It's going to be a whole lot easier than going over the mountains. They're like, listen, we won't, we won't take any of your stuff. We, we, we won't steal. We're not here to mess up your land. We just want to pass through. But Edom said, no. So they had to walk all the way around Edom and Moab, and they're finally here. Uh, on the east of the Jordan River, about to enter into uh, the Promised Land. I want to uh, zoom in here for just a minute because this is, this is going to show you. Uh, now, here, here we are on the east of, of the Jordan River. Here is Jericho, right? We know that's going to be the first place they're going into. But Israel is camped uh, right here at a place called Abel Shittim. Abel Shittim. And this is where, this is essentially going to be their headquarters. This is where Moses is going to, uh, you know, say his last words and commission Joshua. And Joshua is going to send some spies into the land to go check out Jericho. But the, the, the kingdom of Moab here is getting a little freaked out about how many people are in the nation of Israel, these, these children of Israel. And so, in Numbers, the king of Moab, a guy named Balak, Balak, the king of Moab, um, hires, because he's so afraid of Israel, he hires a man named Balaam. Balaam is a, a, a seer or, or a diviner, kind of a, a, kind of a prophet, and, and he's not a good dude, okay? He's not a good guy. He's going to say some really good things, but that's because God's going to speak through him. Uh, not a really good guy. But, but Balak hires Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel, almost like a, a, a witch doctor. 
I want you to come and, and, and put a curse on these people. And so, so, so here's Balaam, and, and he meets the king of Moab right here by the Arnon River and travels up all the way to Bamoth Baal right here. He's going to spend some time there and at Mount Pisgah and Mount Peor right in this area because, look, he can look down and see the people in Abel Shittim down there. And so when Balak brings Balaam, he it looks down and, and the text says that, that Balaam was able to see a fraction of the people of Israel. And before this happens, by the way, um, this is where we get the story of uh, Balaam's donkey. You remember that? So Balaam's on his way to go and curse the children of Israel. But before he gets there, an angel of the Lord shows up with his sword drawn. But Balaam doesn't see the angel, but his donkey that he's riding does. And the donkey's like, nope, not going that way. And Balaam's all ticked off at his donkey and beating his donkey. Till finally the donkey starts to talk, kind of makes a fool out of Balaam because he can't see the angel. And suddenly he sees this angel of the Lord who gives him this warning. Here's, here's what he said to him. Here's the warning. Speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam's kind of realizing this is... It's a serious deal. I don't want to mess this up. I, I, I want to be careful what I say. I don't want to get my head chopped off. So um, I'm going to say whatever God says. So now he comes to Bamoth Baal, overlooking and sees a fraction of the people of Israel, and Balak's ready for him to just lay a curse down on him. But instead of cursing Israel, the text says that, that the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and he blessed Israel. And Balak's like, what, what are you doing? I, I hired you to curse these people, not bless them. And, and so he, he, he decides, we're, we're, we're going to try this again. All right, so I'm gonna, he, he takes them up to Mount Pisgah. And, and I got, actually got a picture uh, overlooking. Here's Mount Pisgah, all right? And he's looking down out here in the valley. This is Abel Shatim. He's able on this mountain to see all of them. He's looking down at the children of Israel. And Balak's like, okay, maybe it'll work this time. Now that you can see them all down there, maybe you can curse them. And the second time, instead of cursing them, he blesses them. And Balak's so ticked off, he's like, all right, we're going to try this one more time. He takes him up to um, uh, Mount um, Peor. This is right nearby. He's overlooking the desert. And for a third time, instead of cursing Israel, he actually blesses them. Which brings us to the text here. And we're going to read a little bit. Now that you have that context, hopefully that makes you understand what's going on. Okay, Verse 10, here's, here's where we're going to pick up. Chapter 24, um, read with me, starting in verse 10. And Balak, that's the king, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you've blessed them three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now, behold, I'm going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, 
the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. So Balaam is prophesying of this star, the star of Israel. And I think in the text we're actually going to see that this star... Uh, brings us three promises. If you're taking notes, here's one. Note this. We are blessed instead of cursed. That's a pretty powerful truth. Balak's pretty uh, ticked off at Balaam and because uh, he wanted Balaam to curse God's people, but God wasn't having it. And uh, so in this, this ironic reversal, the one who is hired to curse God's people ends up blessing them instead. So I want you to notice, it's really God who's blessing his people, okay? In fact, if you're there in chapter 24, if you look up at verse 2, uh, verse 2 tells us that Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. That's, that's the view that we had from the mountain. We're looking down and we could, we could see the tribes of Israel. And the, here's what it says, verse 2. The Spirit of God came upon him and he took up his discourse. So remember, remember, Balaam's not a good dude. So this really says something about the intention of God that by his spirit, he's going to make sure that his people are blessed even through an ungodly seer, an ungodly prophet. The blessing is really God's word. That's why Balaam says, verse 13, what the Lord speaks, that will I speak. He didn't really have much choice on the matter there. Verse 15, uh, he's speaking the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. God is the one who enabled Balaam to see and to hear and to know. So the blessing really comes from God. So all three times, when Balaam goes to curse them and instead ends up blessing them, it's, it's God's word and it's God confirming the promise that he made all the way back in Genesis God made a promise to a man named Abraham. You're going to see this. I've got it for you on the screen. I want you to be able to see that what Balaam is saying, the the words that are coming out of his mouth, it's God's word, and God is just confirming the promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Here's what he said to him. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is essentially what Balaam's saying here. He's like, I know you want me to curse the people of Israel, but, 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 but God's, uh, their, their enemies don't stand a chance because The Lord is their God, and he is with them, and they're blessed by him. Now, uh, because it's 
God who's the one who's initiating the blessing. It's really grace. You see that? Does Israel deserve to be blessed like this? The scripture is really clear that, that Abraham didn't earn this. Abraham didn't earn the blessing by his good works. He just had faith and believed what God said. And so blessing is always by grace. God wants to bless his people, even though, if we're honest with ourselves, we actually all deserve to be cursed, don't we? None of us earn this. We actually don't deserve the blessing of God. So how is it possible? He's going to bless his people in the Old Testament, but how is it possible that we are blessed too? Well, the answer is found in Galatians. Galatians 3, I want you to see this. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. You see that? It's because Jesus hung on a cross and became a curse for us. That he took the wrath of God that we deserved. Now even we are blessed instead of cursed. I think about uh, what an encouragement that can be. Maybe, maybe you need that right now. I realize that, um, that this season is not always easy for everybody, especially when the circumstances of your life don't seem to match the, the, the joy and the festivity and all the holiday cheer that you see around you. And maybe life is not going the way you want it to. Maybe you don't feel like you have peace. And for sure, some of that is just out of your control. It's not that you asked for. It's not that you've done anything. Some of those things have just happened. But maybe some of it, at least in part, is due to your actions and your responses and your reactions. And you realize your own failures and shortcomings here. You feel that? And sometimes this season reminds us of that, especially when we're going to be getting together with some of the people closest to us that know our faults. Or maybe God's just been convicting you of something lately. i got to be honest, God's been convicting me. Um, and what I found most discouraging is that, the, that he's showing me things in my heart and in my attitudes and in my mind that I didn't even see, that I was missing. And what's really discouraging for me is like, I'm, I'm in my Bible, I'm reading, and I'm still missing sin in my life. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we are a mess, right? But here's, here's, here's what we're learning right here. God loves us and he blesses us. Not because of our performance, but because of Christ. That it doesn't matter what I've done. And it doesn't matter that I'm going to mess up again tomorrow. He still loves me. 
and I still have his favor and his blessing. It's a pretty sweet truth. But there's another promise here. Leads us to this second promise. Note this. That we have a promised king. So here's the verse that we're zeroing in on and the reason we're celebrating this around Christmas. If you look at verse 17, here's Balaam. Balaam's talking and he says, I see him, but not now. Now notice, notice, let's get this image back up here. So we're, we're looking down over the valley and we can see Balaam is looking down at the children of Israel out here in Abel Shatim and he says, I see him. I see. He sees a man, but, but not now. I behold him, but not near. So he's not physically seeing a man down in that valley, but he is foreseeing one who is coming. God allows Balaam to look down at the children of Israel and see into their future. And who is it that he sees? Look at, look at the text. Who is it that he sees? He says, a star shall come out of Jacob. So this man is going to be a star. And not like a star like we normally think of, like a movie star or an NBA superstar. The, the, the star here obviously is poetic. It's symbolic. A star in the ancient days was the symbol of a god, specifically the king of the gods. In fact, I, uh, I found this in archaeological evidence all over the place. I've got a, a few of these stars to show you. Here's one that, that we saw in the, the ruins of a palace in Amman, Jordan. You see it all the way up at the top there? That's What, what, what do you see on the very top of the palace? they got the symbol of a star. It's the symbol of the king, the king of the gods. Here's, here's another one. This is etched into the stone in Capernaum. And this next one, you'll probably recognize this star is a little bit different. We know that one as uh, the star of David. See, the star was a symbol of the king, a symbol of the God. And this, this, this second line really gives some poetic repetition and, and clarification of what this star is. It says not only is a star going to rise, but a, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. The scepter was a, a rod or the staff of a king. It symbolized his, his authority. So what he's saying is this star is a king. We're looking forward to a great king who's going to come. That word scepter is actually the same word and a continuation of a promise that God had made back in Genesis. Back in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob was blessing his sons. Here, here's what he said. Read this. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 10. As Jacob is blessing his son, he says, The scepter, same word, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And so this king that's coming, he's got to be from the line of Judah. Now tell, tell him, tell me, um, can you think of a king that was from the line of Judah? Do you know any kings? Like, I know in your mind, you're ready to go to Jesus, and I'm so glad you are. But before we get to Jesus, there was another king from the line of Judah. His name was David. David is a fulfillment, at least partially, of this prophecy, but not an ultimate fulfillment. Think, think about what's happening here. Balaam is looking down 
on the children of Israel, and he says, I see a king is coming. They don't have a king yet. They're not going to have a king for hundreds of years. But God knew that they were going to have a king. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, he gives the children of Israel instructions on how their king is supposed to act. This is hundreds of years before they even have a king. God knew that they were going to have a king, and so he told them ahead of time what their king was supposed to do. Problem is, they had all sorts of kings. But ultimately, all of the kings in the Old Testament failed to live up to this, even David. David, who fulfills this prophecy and and ushers in uh, the, the golden age of Israel's history, even he failed to be the king that Israel really needed. And so as Balaam's looking down here and and saying, this king is coming, a star's coming, it's not just a king coming, but it's the king. And he says he's coming out of Jacob, out of Israel. So what he's telling us is that God, the king of kings, is going to become an Israelite. He's going to become a Jew. I want to show this to you again. Here's the spot we were looking down on. Uh, but but, but uh, this, for me, was a pretty sweet moment, standing on uh, Mount Pisgah, looking down uh, here. This is also, uh, incidentally, Mount Nebo, where God's going to send Moses up here to look out. And I know it's, it's, it's really, uh, all this is, it, you know, it's really dusty, and so it wasn't a very clear day for us. But there's the Jordan River and across the way is the promised land. This is where Moses is going to stand and look over and see, but he's not allowed to enter into it. But, but, but this spot, the reason I want to show this to you is this is kind of a, a convergence of theological and biblical and archaeological connections all in the same spot. So remember, we're, we're standing on the east of the Jordan River looking west into the promised land, and there's a couple of things that I want you to see from this moment. As Balaam looks down, he's able to see out here in the valley, he's able to see Abel Shatim in the camp of Israel. Straight ahead, this map shows, straight ahead is Jericho, about 16 miles out from this point right here. Then notice, um, all the way this direction, about 30 miles, is the city of Bethlehem. Might be able to make some connection there. But halfway between Bethlehem and this spot where Balaam is standing uh, is also this place called Qumran. It's about 15 miles away. Many of you know uh, that Qumran is the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's probably one of the greatest archaeological finds in the history of the world. There in Qumran, there was this community of of Jews that would copy down uh, the scriptures. And uh, uh, not that long ago, uh, they found uh, these fragments and scrolls in jars that were hidden away in caves. In fact, there were 11 different caves. And uh, here's, here's, here's one of them. I got to climb all over these places and, and, and actually climb up into one of the caves. There's 11 different caves where they found fragments and scrolls of, of the scriptures. And and uh, this is obviously, this is cave number four. You can see that would have been an incredible climb. I did not make that climb up into that cave. Uh, but, but for our purposes here this morning, there were a couple of fragments of scriptures that were pretty significant that they found right there in cave number four. 
And these um, are dated uh, to about the year 150, 125 B.C., meaning 125 years before Jesus came. And in cave number four, they found a fragment of First um, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, the text that we're looking at. Think about that. That's hundreds of years after it was spoken, but still a hundred years before Jesus uh, walked the earth, only 15 miles from the spot where Balaam stood and prophesied of this star, this king who was going to come. And they also found a fragment of this scripture right here. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So Balaam is able to see from this spot into Israel's future as he's looking down and he sees this star is coming. And centuries later, the irony is that the the king of kings was born as a baby in a stable and laid in a feeding trough in a little town called Bethlehem, just as it had been foretold. But think about that. Um, The reason they're in Bethlehem is not because Mary and Joseph lived there. They were just visiting. It's because God in his sovereignty had to orchestrate all the events and the timing of his coming as only he can to fulfill the prophecies and fulfill the scriptures. And as we turn the page into the New Testament, the very first verse that we read in Matthew chapter 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. Jesus is from the line of Israel's greatest king. But what he's saying is, he's greater than David because he's the the Christ, the Messiah. He is the king. Jesus is the star of Israel. And I hope that gets you fired up. You're going to see a lot of stars this year. You see him all over the place. And when you see the star, let it be a reminder for you, Jesus is the star. Jesus is the promised king. God promised that he would send a king. And does God keep his promises? I love this 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. All the promises of God find their yes in him. This, This is why the star of Israel gives us hope. Because God knew that we needed somebody who could, who could lead us, who could, who could love us and take care of us and who would provide for us and, and protect us. Someone who was, who was just and good. Someone who would always do what is right. We needed a king we could trust. And I know some of you, might, maybe you're struggling to trust the Lord right now. You're facing circumstances you didn't really want to be in and... and Maybe you're feeling a little overwhelmed with discouragement and frustration and maybe even doubt. I know this season is supposed to um, be the season of joy, but listen, what gives us hope is not the the lights and and all the jingles and 
and all the Hallmark movies. It's certainly not that. And, and popcorn tins and whatever other traditions that you have and, 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 and trees and, and presents and all the holiday cheer. Don't look to stuff or circumstances for your hope. Look to the star. The star of Christmas is the reminder that God keeps his promises and we have a king we can trust. Which leads us to the last promise, this reason that we need this king. Note this. I love this. We have the hope of victory. We have the hope of victory. So the star is coming. This this scepter is going to rise. The king is coming. And it says, it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Now how many of you can sleep better at night knowing that Moab is going to be destroyed? Does that help you? Is that super encouraging? Yeah. Okay, so let me tell you why that's actually significant and encouraging for us. First, it's, it's prophecy. What, what, what do you say? Balak, think about this. Balak is standing. He's the king of Moab. And he's standing there when Balaam says this. They can't be super excited about that. But God is essentially promising that the ones that are trying to destroy his people right now are eventually going to be destroyed. And one of Israel's kings actually did this to Moab years later. Guess who? David. 2 Samuel chapter 8 verse 2 tells us that David defeated Moab. But it's not just Moab. Verse 19 tells us it's also uh, Edom. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir, which is another name for Edom also. So, so, so remember, Edom is the country that they, they wouldn't let Israel walk through. And so they had to go all the way around to get to the promised land. God is promising that they're going to be defeated by this Israelite king. Guess what? That actually happened too. Guess who? 2 Samuel chapter 8. David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites and put garrisons in Edom. All the Edomites became David's servants. So David is fulfilling this prophecy, but only partially. Because while it's prophecy, it's also symbolic. It points to another king, a greater king than David who is going to come and defeat God's enemies. That's why we celebrate Christmas. you got to get the why. Christmas is the reminder that Jesus came to conquer sin and death, and he did that by dying on a cross for our sins, but not just that he's going to die, he's going to be raised to new life, right? And he's going to return to judge and to defeat his enemies, and he will reign forever. Verse 19, one from Jacob shall exercise dominion. And we know who's going to rule, which is why we all sing along with the the great hallelujah chorus that's taken right out of Revelation 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Honestly, we need that because this world's a mess, isn't it? You don't have to... Check your news app 
long to see tensions and wars and humanitarian crises and corruption and, and the consequences of our technology and, and our carelessness and the conflicting worldview. I mean, there's so much tension and conflict right now. And listen, our hope is not in presidents or senators or judges or the military or special counsels. It's not in policies, not in summits. It's not in projects. It's not in innovation. It's certainly not in of ourselves to fix all of this. Our only hope is in Jesus, who is the king who can come and set all things right. Think about that. Only Jesus lets us look to the future without fear and without anxiety. Because when we trust in Jesus, even though, even though we deserve to be cursed, instead we're blessed. And we can have peace with God. And this hope that in the end, there is victory. Maybe this season is discouraging for you and you feel uh, pain, and just kind of a reminder of a tough time. Maybe your days have grown dark. Listen, listen, it will not always be so. What he's reminding us during this season is to look up. Our king is coming. The star will rise. And on the last page of Scripture, Revelation chapter 22, we hear these words. I, Jesus, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Lord, we love you. And we celebrate Christ's coming. We're reminded that God, we're a mess, and we need you to come and save us from our sins, but we're also reminded not only did you uh, do that, but you conquered sin and death, and you rose in victory, and so because of that, we actually can celebrate your coming again. And so for anybody who is feeling the, the weight of this season, and while it's fun and we enjoy the traditions and and get nostalgic. For some of us, this is um, painful. But Lord, I love that you've reminded us that our end is victory. And so we really do have hope in this season because you are king. You're the only king, and you are the only king forever. So, Lord, as we lift your name high, I pray that you, are, you receive the glory and the worship that you are worthy of. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.